Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, a weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hotchberg, and this is episode number 328. Have you ever thought about getting married on a Royal Caribbean cruise? The decision of where to get married is never a simple one, regardless of where it takes place. But if you were ever thinking of tying the knot on a Royal Caribbean cruise, this week's episode is just for you. This week, we talked to a friend who recently got married on Mariner of the Seas. Here we go. A wedding is a big event for anybody, but to be able to celebrate your wedding on a Royal Caribbean cruise is an amazing experience. And this week, we're talking to a very good friend of mine who was able to experience that firsthand. It, many of you probably recognize his voice, although it has been a while since he's been on the podcast, but it is the incomparable, the unparalleled man himself, the pride of Tennessee, Michael Poole. Welcome back, Michael. Hey, Matt. It's good to be back. It has been a while, but I am excited to kind of share the experience, you know, getting, tying the knot, and uh, say farewell to my solo cruising days. <laughs> That's right. Um, now, actually, we talked about your wedding cruise on a previous episode with our good friend Brandon, but uh, obviously your experience is totally different because Michael actually got married, had the ceremony uh, and the reception on board his Royal Caribbean cruise, Royal Caribbean's Mariner of the Seas. And in a previous episode, which I'll link to in our show notes, uh, Brandon and I talked about our experience as a guest. But uh, today I want to really focus on the actual wedding, both you know, getting preparing for the wedding and like all the the logistics, if you will, of being married on a cruise. Because, Michael, I got to imagine that, I mean, no matter where you get married, whether it is in a church, whether it's in a reception hall, uh, a bingo hall, wherever, cruise ship, I mean, there's going to be their own set of challenges involved. So talk to us about the approach to getting married on a cruise and why you chose to go that route. Okay, so originally when we you know, had talked about you know, tying the knots, getting married, uh, we obviously met on a cruise and you know, we got engaged on Coco Cay as part of a cruise. So it was rightfully so that, that we decided we definitely wanted to get married on a cruise. But that was just like the beginning phase. You know, I think we kind of had to look at different sailings, different wedding packages, and we'll dive into it. But I kind of like the idea of just being able to, to go to a destination, show up, um, have a wedding planner help us. And at the end of the day, I mean, there's definitely dollars behind the decisions when you plan a wedding. And for the budget aspect, I feel like a cruise was just the way to go for us. Absolutely. I mean, look, hey, it sounds like a great idea. And this is actually the second wedding on a cruise that I had attended. And, you know, uh, when you went through the weddings department with the Royal Caribbean, talk to us about how that begins and what kind of options they kind of gave you. So I actually still remember making the call to see if because I recommend that you call the wedding department prior to booking your cruise. Um, like, for example, we wanted our wedding on Coco Cay. So there's only one stop there on that weekend sailing. So we contacted the wedding department to see if that day was available, because if it wasn't available, we would have shifted to a different cruise date. I actually have heard of brides and grooms booking a cruise and then to later to find out that date is already taken. So then they have to pivot to a different option, which would be maybe getting married on board or married on a different day. But we knew we wanted to get married on that particular date. There was really no option for us. So step one is we contacted them to see if Coco K was available. 
it was because they only let one wedding per day at Coco Cay. Um, so it was available. So we went ahead and put our deposit down, um, just a security deposit that goes against your balance. We didn't really pick a package at that time. It was just to hold in that date. And then we went ahead and uh, booked the cruise. Did you uh, have any any sense at the time how large the wedding would be? <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> um, I actually thought maybe 30 so people would come because, you know, a destination wedding is a big financial expense for your guests as well. Now, I think part of my guests just went because they wanted to see Coco Kay and have fun with friends, which is great because that's what I wanted them to do, too. But we actually um, were looking at various options and, and the largest option that Royal Caribbean actually offers is up to 50 guests. Well, Matt, you were there. You know we had a lot more than 50 guests. Um, so they do have some add-on options to accommodate more guests, but uh, we ended up going with the largest package, which uh, accommodates 50 guests. Awesome. And you mentioned the the cruise planner there, the person who's there to help you, the wedding planner, I should say. Talk to us about the wedding planner and what options and what resources they provide to you as the couple and kind of your interactions. So we booked it a year out. Um, not a lot of planning really happened. You know, the first couple of months, it was more just locking in the date, locking in the deposit. Um, when we got closer to about six months out, we started having calls with our wedding coordinator. Uh, it's a company that's actually based out of Canada, uh, but they were answering our questions as far as guests on and off the ship, um, any type of add-on features such as you know the cake, how how many layers we want. Pretty much all your typical wedding questions that you would ask a coordinator. Um, we we've had about two or three of those conference calls. Uh, we actually, you know, if you're if you're listening to this and you're thinking about you know planning a wedding, uh, when you do lock it in, I, I recommend that you kind of jot down some notes. So when we were on the call with her, we, we were like, we know we have more questions, but we can't think of them. And then later on, we would think of the questions. So. Just kind of make notes, and then they're very accommodating to do as many of those you know, conference calls as you would like. Um, I will say that we knew we were getting married on Mariner of the Seas, and you know, Matt, we had the group cruise, uh, it was in March, back-to-back. So we actually had the opportunity to meet with our onboard planner um, in March and again in June when we went. So I don't know if any listeners can swing maybe going on the ship before the wedding. We actually were able to do a lot of our planning directly with the onboard coordinator as well as the the wedding company as well. That's great. That's, obviously, not everyone will be able to do that. But if you do have that opportunity, I think it's a great tip to be able to not only meet them, but also get, I think for a lot of people, visualize, right? See the venue you're talking about, whether it's where the reception's going to be, where the wedding's going to be. And I, and I, I, I got to imagine, Michael, that being able to at least walk through some of these areas, you know, in the m- months or weeks before the cruise would be very advantageous. Oh, for sure. I mean, it, it really, when we met with our our onboard planner. And if you're thinking, well, that that's maybe not an option for us. Don't worry. Um, but maybe see if you can get your onboard coordinator's email. That for us was very helpful. So we could actually email both our, the wedding department and our onboard planner. Um, and, you know, kind of talk logistics of, Hey, we've got, uh, five cases of wine. How are we going to get that on board? You know, so those little questions that you kind of think of as you're coming up to the date uh, really helped us out. But we really love seeing the uh, venue in person, so we could kind of say visualize. Oh, we want the table here. We want this here. Um, so definitely very helpful if you can get the onboard uh, planner's email address as well too. 
Absolutely. You know, one of the questions I get a lot, Michael, from people who are looking to do a wedding is they want to know, will the captain marry you? Is that an option that you were presented with? It actually is an option. Um, they Royal does charge, uh, I believe it's $900, I believe, for a marriage certificate uh, for the captain to you know officiate your wedding. We actually opted out of that and had one of our good friends, Ken Jarvis, um, you know, he was the one that was lucky enough or we were lucky enough to have him, but he officiated our wedding. Um, and you can have someone do it for you if you don't want the captain to do it. But if you do want the captain to do it, it's definitely an option. It is an add on. Um, but, you know, and to be buried with the captain at sea, I mean, that's pretty phenomenal as well. Absolutely. Uh, and and certainly, Mr. Jarvis did a great job as well. So it's not like you were shortchanged in any in any way there. Uh, you know, speaking though of add-ons, was there anything that you saw in the, you know, let's uh, were there any like options add-ons you would have loved to have had? I mean, maybe it wasn't financially viable or or logistically viable, but was there anything that really caught your eye that would have been like a kind of kind of it sounded really cool? Oh, well, we could talk about this on and on. There's so many options, but one thing I'll I'll say is. Um, one of the add-ons was to have – we got married on Coco Cay, and it was to get a, a speaker and a generator to power the speaker out on the island. And, you know, we're thinking about music coming down the aisle, and, you know, obviously we had to have music. And one of the things that we learned with meeting our wedding planner on board that day is she's recommended that we don't do that. She said, just bring a Bluetooth speaker. You don't want, you know, a generator loud running in the back of your wedding and, and – had we not met with her, Matt, that's what we were doing. Uh, we oh. never even thought about, you know, we never thought about just using a speaker. Uh, we were just knew we wanted music on the on the island, and that was really the only option presented to us was to, you know, rent a speaker from them, rent a generator from them, because there's not just plugs out on the beach. Um, so if you're listening to this and you're going to get married, whether it be Coco Cay or any island. I kind of recommend not to do the generator and the speaker. Just bring a loud Bluetooth speaker. Ours worked perfect. I felt like the guests could hear the music just fine. Um, and it saved us probably three or 400 bucks as well. Um, nice. You know, and then I'll mention one other add-on. So if you're having guests, you know, the reception, ours is back on board. Um, we, you know, most of the guests had the deluxe drink package where your drinks are included. Uh, Royal typically doesn't allow the drink packages to work during the private event. So the options that you're presented with is to pay, I think it was roughly $40, $45 per person per hour for an open bar. Uh, with our guest size, you know, around 80 guests, approximately $100 a guest, we were like, ah, I just don't know if this is financially the route for us. So we actually went with the option to bring uh, wine and champagne on board. Uh, the coordinator can help you get that get that on board logistically through a side door because it's a lot of wine. And, you know, they charge us $15 cork fee per bottle. But to pay five or $600 versus $8,000, that was a really good option for us if you're thinking about beverages to serve at your wedding. Great tip, absolutely. And speaking of the uh, uh, coordination going on, part of the package you get for doing a wedding on Royal is you were among the first, if not the first people to board the ship, right? Oh, it was so – I was actually getting a little anxiety, and, and it's probably natural. You know, the wedding the, – the cruise day is here um, with – you know, we had not one carload, but three carloads full of wedding decorations. Uh, my bride went a little, little wild with the decorations, but that's okay. It's, you know, that's what she wanted to do. We supported her. So 
Uh, you do go through a separate entrance, which is where the crew get on and off um, on embarkation day. It's kind of to the side. Uh, vendors go through this route, travel agents, day passes. So it's through the side entrance. They had a whole crew with carts um, to unload our stuff for us. And we immediately went on board. We went straight to our cabin. So part of the wedding package is your cabin is available the second you board the ship. And I kid you not, we went straight to the room, Matt, and all of those boxes beat us to the room. So I don't know how they did it, but I walked in my room and I'm like, oh my gosh, these boxes went straight to the ceiling. But um, they did everything for us. Like it was the most stress-free, you know, getting on board. They took everything. We went to our room. It's there. Um, so definitely um, don't stress about getting the decorations, logistics. I promise you they have it under control. They don't. They, it's almost like an everyday thing to them. So they're like, we got it. We got it. And I'm like, I hope this goes smooth. And sure enough, it did. That's awesome. You know, I, and I love, by the way, once you're on the ship, you had kind of a schedule of events that you had outlined. You had a great reception in the beginning, uh, cocktail reception up in the um, Viking Crown Lounge at a bar. You had uh, different dining events with some of your family and friends there. That was a really neat approach to the whole day and being able to, uh, you know, being able to give people that in your attendance feel like it's not just like, okay, we'll see you at the wedding and then, you know, you may not see them for the entire cruise. Like, it, the fun part of going on, a, for me at least as a guest on a wedding cruise was that it really did span the weekend as opposed to a regular wedding, if you will, on land where, you you know, it's a couple hours, right? You go for the wedding, go for the reception, and, you know, you're talking about half a day versus you get to spend a whole weekend with family and friends. That must have been really, I think, gratifying for you and, and, and Hillary. Oh, for sure. And and I'll say, you know, I know Matt's a big fan of travel agents, but if you're booking a destination wedding on a cruise, and I'm a fan of travel agents too, but you absolutely have to use a travel agent to help you kind of coordinate this on the back end. But yeah, the welcome reception, uh, we were able to plan that with the cruise line to day one. Uh, we didn't want to jam pack every single day. Uh, so we did kind of give day two wide open, but we definitely enjoy the dinners at night as a group. So that's part of the travel agent perk will help you get all the room bookings together, get you at the same tables and coordinate who's sitting with who. And some of that wine left over from the reception, we had a couple bottles left over, maybe 10 or so. We actually were able to bring to the dining room and uh, they did all that for us as well. We didn't carry the bottles. The wedding crew had them on our tables in the dining room before we arrived. So they just, they really took care of us and kind of made it, stress-free for the bride and groom that's terrific you know uh that's that sounds amazing and certainly it seemed really really smooth on our end as a guest so glad to hear it was as well for you and then now let's let's fast forward now to the wedding day at coco key the wedding was in the late morning and uh, it was a beautiful day actually you know it was partly cloudy great breeze going on there uh talk to us about the location of the wedding in coco key and uh, some of your thoughts on how the reception went or the sorry the how the ceremony went Got it. Sounds good. So when we originally booked the Coco Cay wedding, we were told it would be on South Beach, uh, which is where we got engaged. So we were definitely excited about that. Uh, for those not familiar with exactly where South Beach is, it's when you get to the island, it's all the way to the far backside. It's actually where they're building the uh, new over the water cabanas now. Well, since that's under construction, we got an email saying that our wedding would be on North Beach. And that's essentially right beside the pier. Um, I'll be honest, Matt, I was like so excited when I heard about that because I knew the ship would be in our, in our photos. Uh, but I must say, I thought the location of the, the actual ceremony was 
perfect. I loved being close to the pier. So I guess some walked over. They were right there. Uh, the cruise line does um, coordinate a bunch of those carts to bring our guests off. So we met that morning at, I believe, 945 at Starbucks. Our coordinator was there. We had 80 people marching off the ship together, and they had a whole row of golf carts, and they drove us right over to the destination itself. Um, we docked that morning at 8 or 7, I believe, and some of the guests, uh, the grandparents, parents, got off and decorated the beach for us and then got back on and then came off again at 11. So they'll let you – they'll coordinate – you know, decorations need to go off early and they had the golf carts ready for them at, you know, at seven thirty, eight o'clock with the decorations as well. So they weren't hauling boxes out to the beach. They had everything planned. So the carts were there to make it seamless as could be. Yeah. It, I mean, it seemed to go off without a hitch and it was, you know, I, like I said, I, it was such a nice and beautiful ceremony, quite frankly. And the, uh, the venue was fantastic because it's really where, where Michael's describing is you can see the ship in the background uh, with the pier, and you've got the ocean, obviously. It was really pretty, and being in the location where it was, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, Coco Key, maybe you'd be hearing, you know, the uh, the music from the DJ at the pool or the Thrill Water Park, but no, it was quiet and serene, and it really felt private. Uh, really, you it didn't feel like you were a spectacle for a lot of other people around you. Yeah, so that was one of our concerns when we heard it would be on North Beach is people would kind of be walking by, uh, taking photos, etc., there wasn't any of that. We were kind of tucked over by the water side in the corner. I saw a couple people on the bridge looking, but I didn't mind. Um, they weren't any part of our ceremony. They were way off to the distance. And it felt very kind of like we were there uh, to ourselves in that area. So if you're getting married very, very soon, yours will be on North Beach as well. I think you'll love the location. And our photos turned out, I thought, great with Mariner of the Seas in the background with the wake and the water. So it was just a perfect location for us. Absolutely. Now, after the wedding, we had the reception a little later in the day, and the reception you chose was the Star Lounge in there, and I thought it was fantastic. I liked that uh, they closed the, I guess, the fire door to the to the entrance of it, which really made it feel like you know we were in our own area. Uh, it, it, first of all, it's a, it's a very large venue. I mean, you had like you said, eighty people, and it you know it could easily have handled another eighty. I think for sure. So. When we originally booked, we were going to do it up in the Viking area, like the if you're you know, the nightclub circle up on the top on deck 14. Um, we started thinking about it as the numbers grew. I know that the Diamond Lounge overflow also happens up there around five o'clock for the happy hour in the lounge. So I started thinking about our guests and the overflow of the Diamond Lounge and we just opted against that venue. I think it's a beautiful venue up there for the 360 views, but with our numbers of guests, I was really concerned about space up there. So we chose the Star Lounge and I'm really glad that we did. Like like you mentioned, they were able that was one of my requests is to make sure the doors were shut. So we felt like we kind of had a, a private without any overflow from the promenade or music from the promenade. And uh, we definitely had tons of space for sure. Yeah, and it was a great venue. I mean, the dance floor was was nice. Uh, you know, I, I think everyone really did have a genuinely good time. And I love the some of the ideas you had. You set up your own little Instagram station. Uh, you obviously had the cake cutting as well. And uh, you know, it was what I liked about it, Michael, was that it, it felt like a wedding. You know, because I think a lot of people do are concerned that if you're getting married on a cruise, you'll miss out on that traditional wedding feel, if you will, by have not having it in a catering hall or something like that. 
but it really did feel like we were at a wedding. Everyone was dressed up really nicely. Uh, obviously, there was, you know, you had the speeches, you had the first dance. It was, it, it, I think it really hit all the points that anyone looks for in a wedding, and you didn't compromise on that. No, not at all. And some of the behind the scenes to kind of make that reception flow is we were able to kind of print out an agenda for our planner, like down to the exact minute where we wanted the next uh, person to come up or the next dance to come up or even the songs played. We printed it out on one sheet of paper, handed it to her, and she made it just flow exactly like we wanted um, from start to finish. So that definitely will help the kind of transition, the reception from the speeches to the songs. Um, and one thing I'll mention, just I don't know if this is just one off on our sailing, but about an hour before the reception, we got a phone call in our room and it was our planner, a wedding planner. And she said, I wanted to let you know that we're going to open the bar up to those that have the drink package. So uh, maybe if you ask nicely, they will. Uh, they typically don't. But we were like, wait a minute, you're going to open the bar? Sure, sure. So wow. it worked It worked out really great. Um, that wasn't an open bar. You definitely had to have the deluxe package for that to work, but I thought it was a nice gesture. Um, and they had tons of staff in there. We had two wedding planners, a DJ. I think there was two bartenders walking around and then two behind the bar. So definitely they'll bring the staff and and come prepared. So make sure everybody's taken care of. Absolutely. It was a fantastic wedding, Michael. And I guess my, my question, last question for you is looking back on it, what would be your tips for somebody who's getting married on Royal Caribbean? So I think tip number one, um, I'll start with, you know, make sure that you book it early. Uh, Our particular sailing had two weddings and it was just a three day cruise. I've even seen some have one every day of the cruise. So lock in your date early. Make sure that you book the actual wedding prior to booking the cruise. Uh, Don't go in the reverse order because, you know, you put a non-refundable deposit down and then you're going to have to change the sailing. It'll just make it too complicated for you. Uh, perk number two is really work with your, your wedding planner, ask the questions that you have. And something that kind of helped us is like a, a third perk is we actually got on the brides and groom Facebook page and it's all the brides and grooms getting married on Royal Caribbean. And we found so much helpful information on that page and, and it's all the brides and grooms getting married upcoming and you see pictures of decor. So we actually, some of our ideas that we had we got out of that group that had gone through it previously. So that really helped us out as well. That's awesome. Glad to hear that. Very, very good information there. I think uh, for anybody who's considering doing it, I'm having uh, been in attendance now for two different weddings on Royal Caribbean. I can tell you it's a lot of fun. And I think, again, I said this earlier, but I really think it's true, Michael. Uh, You know, my wedding was, you know, on land. It was uh, an afternoon slash evening affair. So, you know, it was over. It's began and ended in the span of, I don't know, six or eight hours at the most. Right. Whereas you got three days really plus on top of that to be able to spend with friends and family, which I think is amazing. And that is what I think really is if you're considering a Royal Caribbean cruise for your wedding or vow renewal, the best part of it, in my opinion, is you get to spend a lot more time with your friends and family that are in attendance. And I feel like you get a lot more out of it. So um, I, I, first of all, thank you for inviting me to your wedding. And we had a great time. And uh, yeah, it was. It's, I hope that you equally enjoyed it because uh, I, I know that everyone in attendance really had a fantastic time. For sure, and I and I'm definitely glad that you were able to take part in it. And at the, you know, at the beginning, I was a little 
you know, nervous that I would be a little overwhelmed with the guests, but you have days and days to uh, talk with them. That's the perk I feel like of a cruise where a typical wedding, you have two hours and then the guest is gone. I had days and days with my guests. So definitely glad to come on and talk about the wedding and uh, hopefully come back on soon to talk about the honeymoon. All right, my friends, time to answer some of your emails. This is the part of the podcast where I go into the Royal Caribbean blog inbox, answer the questions you have sent me. Our first email this week is from Cruise and Susan, who writes, in terms of repositioning cruise, Matt, this is for the person who questioned about repositioning or one-way sailings. We've done the Harmony Transatlantic and a southbound sailing on Radiance of the Seas, both starting at one point, ending at another. In both instances, I tried pricing the airfare on my own, finding the prices extremely high. We gave it over to a travel agent to book the flights. She was able to book us flights that were acceptable with fares that were far less than what I had priced on my own. It's my understanding that there are companies that specialize in booking cruisers, another good reason to use a travel agent. Susan, thank you so much for sharing that. You know, it's interesting that you mention using a travel agent to book airfare because uh, I think most airlines, if not all of them, quite frankly, have eliminated the, uh, the, the commission for travel agents to use them. That's part of the big reason why travel agents in general kind of fell out of favor in the late 90s, early 2000s when the advent of a lot of different websites came up there. Anyway, that's a different discussion for a different day. Uh, it, I guess the bottom line is, I well, this is what I would take from Susan's email, is that it never hurts to at least ask or, or see what other options are out there for you. You never know. So thank you, Susan, for the email. Appreciate that. Next email is from Barry Hooper. It's, hi, Matt. Listen to your podcast with the new Pinnacle member, Ken, which was awesome. My wife and I, who are diamond now, can appreciate Ken wanting to help new cruisers have the best time cruising with the Royal Caribbean. We regularly talk with Pinnacle members about their journey achieving their status, and they've got some great stories. I joined the Royal Caribbean blog recently, but have been reading for much longer, although I've not posted yet. Thanks for creating this forum where Royal Caribbean cruisers can be made aware of changing policies and providing beneficial information that can apply during sailings. My one question I would like to ask is if you think Royal Caribbean will ever allow junior suite cabin guests to eat breakfast in Coastal Kitchen with Grand Suite and above guests. Barry, thanks for the email. Obviously, I have no inside information on this, so I'm just sharing more of an opinion than even a even a guess, really. My guess would be no, though. Um, I think that the model, if you will, for the Royal Suite class, and Coastal Kitchen, by the way, is the suites-only restaurant on Oasis and Quantum class ships. And if you're staying in a junior suite, you only have access to Coastal Kitchen for dinner, not for breakfast, not for lunch. And Barry's essentially asking, you know, think it'll ever happen for breakfast. Uh, my guess is no. Um, I mean, not as a policy. I just don't see them changing it. I don't see a... a I mean, the benefit is it, it, it provides more value, if you will, to the to people staying in a junior suite. But those people are paying the least amount of all the suite guests. And again, I just don't see a, an impetus for changing that. Uh, I, I mean, I know there's a lot of folks who would love to see that change necessarily but i think from a from a capacity standpoint and for ensuring the value of staying in either a sky class or a star classroom i would think they'd want to retain the system the way it is currently uh the only way i could possibly see them changing that barry is if they ever added a secondary restaurant for uh sweet guests in which you know there's a new one and then coastal kitchen becomes like almost like a second tier option if you will but Again, there's a lot of hypotheticals, and uh, as I stated earlier, I really don't have any inside information on that. Your guess is as good as mine. Next, we have an email from Donald Greer, who writes, After our upcoming selling on Mariner this season November, we'll be at 79 points, which is one point away from diamond status. 
We have a cruise booked on Oasis of the Season, April 2020. I was wondering if I'll be able to use our diamond status on that cruise. On your recent podcast, Ken Jarvis mentioned that he reached Pinnacle status on the first night of his cruise and Royal Green welcomed him to Pinnacle on that cruise. Is that the standard procedure or do they just make an exception? Love your podcast and the wealth of information you share in the blog. Donald, thank you for the email. And the answer is, yeah, for Pinnacle, that's a that's an outlying situation right there. When you move up statuses, Donald, and you're sailing, it does not apply until your next sailing. So when you move from Emerald to Diamond, it will take place after your Oasis of the Seas sailing concludes. The fact that it occurred for Ken as a Pinnacle member is because Pinnacle is such a unique status and such a lofty goal that they do recognize that in, in that situation. But the policy is when you go from status one to status two in the middle of a sailing, the effects, the benefits take place on the following sailing there, Donald. So that should be your expectation going forward. Next up, we have an email from Michael Hall who writes, thanks to the podcast, it is great. My wife and I are in our mid sixties. We're considering an Alaska cruise in June or July of 2020. For us first cruisers, what ship should I consider? I've looked at Royal Caribbean's website just to get an idea of availability and cost. Interested in the junior suites on a particular cruise were sold out, but the mini suites were still available. Is the mini suite a little over the top for my wife and I, or should we just go for a balcony room? So, and you have a lot of questions here. Uh, when should we book such a cruise along with my wife and I, son and his family, and other couple may attend with us? Number two, which port of entry should we consider, Seattle or Vancouver? We live in Denver, Colorado area and will fly to either port of entry at least a day before. We have visited Seattle area several times. I will use a travel agent that has a lot of knowledge in cruising. Thanks to the podcast. I look forward to hearing your recommendations. Michael, good question. First of all, you are not wrong for wanting to do Alaska. It is amazing. You're going to love it, my friend. I would point out, Michael, first of all, the shameless plug coming your way, dude. We're going on Ovation of the Seas, June 5th, 2020. It is a... I've labeled this a not a group cruise, group cruise. What I mean by this, Michael, is it's a Royal Caribbean cruise in which I'm inviting all of you guys to come and join us for it, where it does, just doesn't have all the pomp and circumstance of a regular Royal Caribbean blog group cruise. Essentially, Michael, I wanted to go back to Alaska, and a lot of friends who joined me on the previous Alaska group cruise were like, hey, if you're going to Alaska, dude, I'd love to come with you as well. And that was kind of like, okay, I mean, I don't mind other, knowing other people on board the ship, right? So we have a, a group going. Uh, and if you would like to join us, Michael, we're going on Ovation to the Seas, June 5th, 2020. That's for anybody listening, by the way. Uh, just contact MEI Travel. They can totally hook you up with that. And we'll do some special things on board, but it's not going to be a group cruise like when we talk about group cruises here. Anyway, that's a different story. But we're going on Ovation of the Seas. I think for a first-timer, it's a fantastic option. It's certainly the simplest option, right? You go to Seattle. You do a round trip. It starts in Seattle, ends in Seattle. You're dealing with domestic airfare uh, coming from Denver. You know, it, it, it's certainly the simplest approach in there. Now, any people who've been and done Alaska a number of times on cruising will tell you that the itinerary is far superior on a radiance of the seas or one of the ships that does the one ways, the northbound through the southbounds, because you go to far more... Uh, remote ports, you get to see different glaciers, you're just seeing more of that natural beauty that Alaska is known for. And they're not wrong, but there's a logistical component to that. And personally, I am not willing at this time to fly to or from Alaska, because if you just do the one-way sailing, you're either flying to Alaska or you're flying back home from Alaska, that means not only going a very long distance, but also connecting flights more than likely to things I'm not willing to do necessarily. So from that standpoint, Ovation out of Seattle is why, first of all, I did explore out of Seattle. I'm doing Ovation again. And it don't take the the argument about the superior itinerary on the other ships 
as a slight on what you're going to see on Ovation. Going to Juno Skagway, doing the inner passage, it's amazing. It's really cool. You're you're going to be you're going to love it. Your whole family's going to love it as well. So it's it's really like it's Michael. It's like going to a steakhouse and being like, mm, should I get the filet mignon or the New York strip steak? At the end of the day, they're both really great, right? So that's really I think how you should look at it. But if you have, I would tell you this, Michael. If you have two plus weeks to spend on this cruise, uh, definitely go for the round trip uh, or two back to backs, I should say, uh, on like Radiance of the Seas or Serenade of the Seas because you're looking for 2020, and that might be a really good choice for you because first of all, it'll give you you'll do the entire gamut of Alaska cruising. Uh, it's by far the superior option, but that's in a vacuum, and I already explained some of the uh, options there. In terms of the room, when I when I did our Explorer of the Seas cruise to Alaska in 2018, we stayed in a junior suite, paid a lot of money, extra money for that junior suite, and uh, versus, say, an interior room. And on this cruise we're going on, Michael, on Ovation, we're doing an inside room. And I did that because I wanted to save money because, first of all, the markup for, to move up to any kind of balcony, whether it's a balcony or a suite, is a lot. Secondarily, and I would argue more importantly, excursions in Alaska are very expensive, much more so than the Caribbean. And if I can save $1,000 on my room, I would much rather spend that $1,000 on an awesome excursion. If you want to go to the glaciers, if you want to do any of these really cool excursions you've probably seen commercials for, it's really expensive. As an example, take an airplane up to a glacier, you're looking at at least $500 a person. That's a lot of money. So family four, $2,000, right? And really anytime you even get close to a glacier, you're looking at very expensive prices. That's why I think saving money in the room is important. Now you might be saying, well, wait a minute, Matt, you know, being on the ship and being able to see things out your, you know, on the ship is a big factor, right? Yes, you're correct. But the, the, the takeaway I got from Explorer of the Seas was there is a lot of public space on these ships and plenty of opportunity. And so my thought is save the money on the room when we're, you know, in the daytime, I, I rarely go to my balcony anyway, but even if we're there for, to see a glacier from the ship, there is ample space and opportunity to go to public decks and see it from there. I tested this theory out on Explorer of the Seas. I didn't have any issues there. So I, I expect the same to be true on Ovation. And again, the money saving isn't just me being cheap. <laughs> it's about more about saving money to be able to re-spend it on excursion. So Michael, hope that makes some sense there. Um, we also have some articles at RoyalCreamBlog.com about cruising to Alaska. I'd highly recommend you check that out because there's a lot that goes into it, both in terms of packing, planning, prioritizing, you know, you, you're, you're not missing something. You're not like, you know, it is kind of a challenge more so than the Caribbean, but I want you to check, take advantage of those resources we had um, in past podcast episodes, as well as blog posts and videos at royalcrimblog.com. Our next email is from Simon Evans, writes, Hi Matt, I've got to start by saying how much I love your podcast. It makes the gaps between cruising bearable. My wife and I are massive Royal Caribbean fans based in the UK. We've cruised to Southampton four times, Barcelona and Copenhagen, and are currently planning a cruise to Southampton or Amsterdam in 2020. I was wondering if you could do an episode on cruising with a baby. My wife is currently eight months pregnant with a little girl due in November 11th. Well, based on this episode, congratulations! We're looking to cruise with her next summer when she's nine months old and would appreciate expertise in all things cruising with a baby. Thank you for the email, and uh, once again, congratulations. And second of all, uh, we have done this episode. Wish granted, episode 180 of the podcast was dedicated to providing a guide to cruising with young children on Royal Caribbean. It, the information in that episode is exactly what I would still recommend today. So check out episode 180 of the podcast. It's going to be a very, very good look at the nursery and 
how to really manage planning a cruise for children that young. The good news is you, for children who are, you know, less than even a year old, less than three years old, it is, there are some unique challenges that come with it, but I do believe it's a great vacation strategy. Uh, overall, I think if you're going on a ship that has a nursery, that's the most important thing. And secondarily, take advantage of what's there to offer, but don't sit there and be like, well, we just had a newborn kid. We're not going to go cruising, you know, for a number of years. I think that's a mistake. I think you're missing out and you're punishing yourself. It's cruising with young children is very practical on Royal Caribbean, especially. They do a great job with it. So take advantage of it. Next up, we have an email from LT Evans and Julius who writes, uh, Hi, Matt. You're truly a remarkable resource for the community. The prodigious amount of knowledge that you share is unparalleled. I'm sincerely grateful for all that you do. I'm trying out Specially Dying for the first time, Wonderland specifically, and we bought the drink package first time for that as well. We also wanted to see Columbus the Musical on Columbus Day, but that didn't work out. Thanks for all the great recommendations. If you don't mind, I have a few more questions. Number one, does it make sense to use a travel agent when booking a complimentary cruise by using a casino offer? Let's start. He's got a couple there. Number one, yes, absolutely. Uh, I know a lot of people do use casino offers, and you get a casino offer if you're wondering if you gamble enough in the casino that essentially they give you rewards for doing so, including discounts and or even free cruises on Royal Caribbean. Keep in mind, by the way, before you're starting to say, hey, honey, let's go to the casino to become a professional cruiser. You know how casinos work, right? You lose a lot of money and they throw you a cruise. It's not a necessarily a net gain there. So just keep that in mind. Uh, LT's next question. I had a casino offer for a junior suite complimentary, but the dates didn't work for our schedule. Do you happen to know if that's a rare instance for Casino Royale? It's a good question, LT. I don't know the inner workings of that and how rare or not that is. Um, but I would tell you again, uh, I know that the our, our sponsor, full disclosure, they are a sponsor, MEI Travel, their, their agents do work a lot with people who are in Casino Royale and do these rates. They may be able to answer the question for you. Number three, what do you select at Wonderland? Any must-haves on the menu? When you eat at Wonderland, you don't actually order off the menu. You do get a menu, but in every situation I've ever eaten at Wonderland, you never order off the menu. What I mean by that is when you sit down and you look at the menu, your waiter will inevitably come over and say, hey, look, if it's okay with you, I'm just gonna bring you one of everything. And you should definitely say, yes, that's totally okay because it may, allows you to sample. A lot of the options are very small to begin with. And secondarily, if you look at the menu and you read them, a lot of them sound kind of weird and you probably wouldn't order it, but they taste a whole lot better than they sound. So definitely do that. Just go with the waiter on that one. Number four, any suggestions on how to hang decorations from our ceiling in our cabin? By far, what you want to do, LT, is use uh, magnetic hooks. Magnetic hooks are the way to go. Number five, there was an area that a male podcast guest of yours who attended a group cruise with you described the... Gave a pretty good view of the aft of Harmony of the Seas. I believe it was recommended spot for Sailway. I can't recall the episode. Does that ring a bell to you? If so, keep going with that episode so I can listen to where it was and describe it to me again. Uh, I don't know. I would recommend one of the, probably the Harmony Group Cruise episode would be my best idea, LT. Just search for, you know, Harmony uh, Cruise Review. Inevitably, you'll probably find that there. I think what they're probably talking about is up on... Oh, actually, there, well, there's only really two places they could possibly be talking about, in my opinion. One is on the back of the uh, walk. I'm pretty sure this is where it is, actually. Now think about it. The back of the uh, jogging deck. The jogging deck goes around the, the whole circumference of the ship on deck uh, four or five. I forget which one it is exactly. But if you go all the way to the back over there, there's a nice little seating area, and you can see out there. The other option is you go up to the top, top uh uh, where the ultimate abyss is and look out there, but I'm pretty darn sure they're talking about the back of the jogging deck there. 
Uh, and lastly, in a video you made on YouTube about Perfect Day Coco Key tips and secrets, there looks like there's a self-serve Heineken machine. Where is this on the island? My boyfriend only drinks Heineken beer. I'm super thrilled to see this in your video. I believe that is a chill grill. Uh, you'll need a drink package for that, um, but yes, um, chill grill. I'm pretty darn sure, LT. Thank you for the email. Let's keep things going here with our next email. It is from, who's this from? Oh, Patrick. Patrick writes, I have a friend who's sailing with us on a Royal Caribbean for his birthday. How could I send a gift to their stateroom without asking them for their sailing information? Is that possible? I don't want to resort to asking his wife in case she accidentally lets it slip. Thanks for all you do keeping us up to date with all things Royal Caribbean. All right, so you can do this via the Royal Caribbean Gifts and Gear website. It's royalcaribbean.com slash royalgifts. If you just Google Royal Caribbean Gifts and Gear, you will find this. Uh, basically, there's a number of options you can choose. There's gifts like merchandise, beach stuff, uh, flowers, uh, room decor, even alcohol, and some treats. Anyway, when you get to the point of needing to uh, check out, so you pick whatever option you have over there, they're going to ask you for uh, the guest first name, the guest last name, the sale date, the ship, and the reservation number, or who they're traveling with. Now, the reservation number would be really helpful, but if they're if you're going to go with the other option, who they're traveling with, must be an exact match with name on reservation. So, if you know, you know your friend's name is Bob Smith, and his wife is Jane Smith. Again, you need to make sure that it's spelled exactly the same way. Like, you know, if, if it's Bob Smith on the reservation, is it Robert or is it Bob? With the wife's name, is her name, you know, uh, Maggie or Margaret, right? Like, you gotta make sure it's an exact match. And then, yes, you can do that without alerting them to that. Um, if that doesn't work, you may have to call Royal Caribbean directly and uh, see if they can possibly help you with that. Uh, if you know their travel agent, that might be a, a decent option uh, as well, but hopefully that makes some sense there. And our last email is from one of my very good friends, Nora Martinez, where it's, Hi Matt, I'm doing a Western Caribbean cruise from Fort Lauderdale on Oasis of the Seas in March 2021. For Costa Maya, I'm definitely planning to do the Mayan Ruins tour. For Cozumel, they're showing a flyby tour for Chichen Itza. I don't want to do a flyby at Chichen Itza, plus it's a bit expensive at 500 bucks, but I'd like to actually go to Chichen Itza. Is there maybe a non-Royal Caribbean tour I could do that still get me back to the ship on time? Is it even possible? I'm not really into beaches, but more about exploring the culture. Nora, thanks for the email. You usually can go to Chichen Itza. If it's not showing in Royal Caribbean's options there, Nora, I'm guessing perhaps you're not there long enough to, to make the tour worth it because the reality is it is a long tour in the sense of the amount of commuting time you need there, Nora. You have to take the ferry over, then there's a multi-hour bus ride involved, and that's all one way, and then you have to do it all back. Usually, it's like an eight-hour tour, and there's like one hour of actual touring of Chichen Itza. There is one more option, Nora. I'm not sure it's on your sailing, but you mentioned Costa Maya and Cozumel. I do know in the past, on a previous group cruise, I even joked about doing this, there was an overnight excursion where you would get off the ship in, I think, Cozumel or Costa Maya, one of the two, and then you would go to Chichen Itza, spend a night in a hotel, this is all through Royal Caribbean, by the way, and then rejoin the ship in the next port. Um, I don't know if that's an option for you as well. I would not recommend doing a, a non-Royal Caribbean tour for Chichen Itza because of how much travel time and distance there is. It would give me the heebie-jeebies. I would, I would be scared out of my wits that I'd be missing the ship because one little mistake, man, one little delay, that's it. You're not making that ship back because, again, how much time of commuting there is involved. So, um, yeah, if it's not available on the website, because I have definitely seen Chichen Itza as an option, and check both Kosamai and Cozumel. You never know about that. 
Um, your only other option really would be to check on board the ship and hope for the best. Um, the options do change. You keep in mind, your cruise is not until March 2021, Nora. So keep checking back. I mean, you got plenty of time. They add excursions, they'll take them away. You never know. So my advice is keep checking back there. You know, I mean, geez, a year from now, I, I wouldn't even, you know, start to, you have a solid amount of time to keep checking back on that. And hopefully you'll be able to do that because I would love to do Chichen Itza. I've always wanted to do that. But my wife and I agree. My wife has brought it up and I do agree. It's a good point. The problem with Chichen Itza is that there's so little time there because of the amount of commuting that we're better off just planning a land vacation, you know, going there in the middle of winter when it's not gonna be a billion degrees, you know, go to like, you know, uh, to Mexico, do a couple days there and then actually do it the right way as opposed to on a cruise ship because unless you do that overnight option that I talked about, which may or may not still be an option through Royal Caribbean, you know, it, it's really tough. One last thing, Nora, one last thing I just thought about, private journeys. Uh, now granted, you mentioned you bought the $4.99 price. I ain't saying this is gonna be a cheap option, but private journeys, which is Royal Caribbean's private shore excursion option, may be another idea for you, especially if you're really dead set on doing that. Um, contact private journeys. It's it's Royal it's through Royal Caribbean, so you get all the benefits of booking a Royal Caribbean tour. Um, but it's a private excursion. So maybe you find some friends uh, on, on that you're cruising with, or people that are on a Facebook group. See who's interested in doing that, and maybe go that route. Might be a worthwhile uh, opportunity there. So. Th Thank you, Nora, for the email. Thank you to everybody for listening to this episode of the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast. Of course, you can always send me your emails to be read right here on the podcast by sending them to Matt, M-A-T-T, at royalcaribbeanblog.com. Until next time, I'm Matt Hotchberg. We'll talk again soon.